Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our study through the New Testament book of James. If this happens to be your first time joining us, we want to get to know you better. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card so we can do just that. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. Amen. If you have a Bible or an app, you can go ahead and open it to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. As you're turning there, uh, whether you've been coming here for a couple weeks or you've been coming here for a long time, you may or may not know, back in January, we started a verse-by-verse study through the New Testament book of James. At Hope Church, we believe and we trust in and we preach from the word of God. And so we go through entire books of the Bible here, verse by verse by verse. And so we started in January trekking through this New Testament book of the Bible called James. And today we are jumping in the final chapter. We are almost there, people, and we're really excited about it. If you haven't checked out James, I encourage you, go back online. There are dozens of messages from this book of the Bible. But just to kind of catch us up as we begin today, James is written by the half-brother of Jesus, Jesus had siblings. Uh, Mary went on to have babies uh, other than Jesus. And so James is the half-brother of Jesus, the little brother of Jesus. And we already talked about this, but could you imagine Jesus Christ being your older brother? That would be like the biggest bummer of all time. Because anytime you fight, he's never wrong, right? Ever. That's James's life. And so James grew up following Jesus around, God in the flesh, He comes on, of course, to to follow Jesus, and he becomes a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And so the person we are reading this letter, he is the half-brother of Jesus. And he is giving us a very, very, I love the book of James. Some people call it the Proverbs of the New Testament. I absolutely love how practical James is, because that's really what he's been doing now for four chapters, and he's going to continue to do today. He has been really putting feet to our faith. He's giving us several ways to kind of evaluate whether or not we have true saving faith. James has some very hard things to say. And and we've been saying it all series long or all study long. James has kind of been stepping on our toes a lot because he gets right to the heart of the matter and right to the heart of our faith. And he gives us these pictures of what our faith should look like as Jesus followers if it's true and genuine and passionate. This is review, and again, you can go on and look at the messages, but James in in chapter 2, he he attacks, or not really attacks, but he exhorts us to to watch our words. He said, hey, there's there's a certain way you should and shouldn't talk as Jesus followers. Guys, I'm going to need that clock, by the way, in the back because I'll go forever. So I need that clock in the back if you could get that going for me. He talks about not just hearing God's word. I love this. Don't just hear God's word. Live it out by your actions. He, he, he exhorts us in this idea of don't look down, don't look down your nose at, at other people because they don't have as much as you. They talk, he talks about classism and, and prejudice. And he says, as Jesus followers, that should not be a part of your life. In James, he talks about the fact that there's envy and, and strife going on inside the church. You say that happens inside a church? Yeah, that happens inside a church because we're all a bunch of sinners trying to praise Jesus together. But sometimes we rub shoulders and sometimes things get messy. 
And James is addressing that here. I love, he talks about living as a friend of the world. He says, if you live in friendship with the world, what that makes you is an enemy of God. Again, this is like James kind of getting up in our business, stepping on our toes. And then kind of the, the culmination of what James says is a very famous passage where he says, listen, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, but your life doesn't prove that, your faith is dead. It's not real saving faith. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, he has some authority by the word of God and the spirit of God inspiring him. He is no stranger to awkward, hard, sensitive conversations. And today we are turning as we open up this last chapter of the book of James to another sensitive topic. James today is going to talk to us about the topic of money. And let me just warn you right out front, we are going to read a very hard passage of scripture. I was blessed when I got the opportunity to preach this very hard passage of scripture. Commentators say this is, it's like James has kind of been ramping up to chapter five and he gets as hard as he's ever gonna get in the beginning of James chapter five. They say it's almost like he's an Old Testament prophet kind of just spitting fire and letting people know not to live this certain way. So James chapter five, buckle your seatbelts. We're gonna read six verses today. And let me just warn you, it's brutal, gnarly, uh, very graphic language. I don't think I've set it up too much, but here we go. Here's what it says. James chapter five, verses one through six. Come now, you rich. Here it is. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Amen. Does anyone have that one on a coffee cup at your house? <laughs> it gets better. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This sounds like a heavy metal song. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Verse 4, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You good? We good? The first time I read that passage, when I knew I was teaching it, I had several thoughts. The first thought I had was, Pastor Vance, thank you so much for beginning your sabbatical right when we start James chapter 5 and allowing me to teach this passage of scripture. I really appreciate that. But another thought I had, and I've actually learned this from Pastor Vance, is this right here is exactly why I love that we preach through books of the Bible. Because when you preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, guess what you can't do? You can't skip that. We can't go like, uh, let's just go to verse 7 of, of chapter 5 because that's a little easier, right? As you preach through books of the Bible, you have to deal with what the Bible deals with. If we were doing a topical series about how to have a better relationship with God, I promise you, James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 probably wouldn't be on the list. But it's inspired of God. This right here, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, is as inspired of God as Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, right? Verses that we love in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We love that verse. 
same Spirit of God inspired these words for us. So what does it mean? We're going to take the next several minutes and unpack what it is that James is talking about. The the overarching thought of what James is talking about is money. You see that riddled all throughout. And right there, I know a lot of people have a little, feel some type of way when we talk about money in church. And I want to kind of demystify that for us by, by looking at what the Bible has to say about money in general. Jesus, when he was on the earth, he told these things called parables. I'm actually really excited. In a couple months, we're going to do a series through a few parables. And Jesus told these parables, which are really simple stories that illustrate kingdom truth, like really big, awesome God realities. So he told 38 parables in his life. 16 of those parables were on the subject of money. Imagine today if this week half of your text messages that you sent were on a specific topic. The people that would get those text messages from you would probably think you were pretty passionate about that topic. Half of what Jesus says in his stories and parables are about money. The Bible has 500 verses on prayer. And prayer is amazing. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Edward preached a great message on our prayer life. 500 verses in the Bible on prayer. Another 500 verses on faith. And just our faith in God and our relationship with God. And praise God for those verses. But did you know that the Bible has over 2,000 verses dealing with the subject of money? And I would submit to you today that when the Bible talks about money, it rarely talks about how much money or how little money we have. The Bible isn't so much consumed with, with the amount. Always the Bible is talking about our attitude towards the money we have. And that is what James is doing here. So James is unpacking this specific idea of money. And our teaching team kind of studied this. We got around this idea as we looked at commentaries, as we studied together, that really boiled down what what James is really getting at here is the sin of materialism. We're going to unpack this in just a minute. But as you look at these verses, he's unpacking and, and showing us some warnings about avoiding the sin of materialism. When we were back in James chapter 4, before we took a few weeks off for some other things, we were looking at what we call acceptable sins. These are sins that in our culture, uh, even in the church culture, if we're not careful, we can just kind of accept those as, as okay things, even though the Bible very clearly speaks against them. Materialism would be another one of those acceptable sins, right? In our culture, even church culture, materialism and, and, and the, the, the accumulation of things is not really looked at as a sin against God. Well, James here has some very strong things to say about materialism. So now that I've introduced it, now that we've read a very graphic portion of Scripture, what is this idea of materialism? Let's define some terms. Here's what materialism is. Materialism, the belief that money and possessions are the most important aspects of human existence. Now, I would be willing to bet there's not one person in this room or watching today online that would stand up and say, yes, I am a materialist. I believe that money and possessions are the most important aspect of human existence. I don't think anybody here or anybody online would stand up and say, that is true of my life. But see, that's the sneaky part of these acceptable sins. Is they begin to creep into our lives sometimes without us even realizing it. And they begin to get a grip on our hearts. 
And we would never stand up and say that we believe that money and possessions are the, are the ultimate of our lives and why we exist as human beings. But slowly but surely they get a grip and they become a big problem in our lives. That's why James is reminding us here against the sin of materialism. See, the Bible actually paints a picture several times all throughout the Bible of these little things that get a hold of us and get a grip on our hearts. The Bible has a word for it. And the word is idolatry. Say, so what is idolatry? Idolatry, very simply, I try to get as simple of a definition as possible. Here's what idolatry is. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator. Idolatry, trusting in created things rather than the creator. So what does that have to do with materialism? If you and I are trusting in things that we have, trusting in the accumulation of wealth, trusting in our portfolio, trusting in the cars we drive, or trusting in the image we have because of the things we possess, the Bible would say we may have an idol in our lives of things. Because the thing about idols is they're sneaky. Again, nobody stands up and says, oh, I'm, I'm a materialist. I believe this is the ultimate reality in life. But if all of our time, all of our attention, all of our passion, all of our stress, all of our angst, all of the things that we are about center on material possessions, James has a word for us. And by the way, it's not just if you have a lot of things. Sometimes it's if you don't have a lot of things. A lot of people get wrapped up in materialism because they don't have a lot of things. And so they are stressed and anxious and everything about their lives is centered on accumulating a little bit more than they have right now. And so it's not just if you're rich, it's sometimes if you would desire to be rich. Again, it's not, the Bible rarely talks about how much we have. It's always our attitude towards what we have. So before we actually jump into what James is saying here, we have to be clear on a couple things. Another thing we gotta be clear on is that money in and of itself is not evil. Money is a tool. It's the way we use the tool that becomes an idol. Money in and of itself is not evil. There's a verse of scripture in 1 Timothy that a lot of people quote. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy. For the love of money. Now stop right there because some people think that verse says money is the root of all kinds of evil. But it's not money, it's a tool. It's the, the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, this is exactly what we're talking about, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That word right there, love, that's the difference between good stewardship and idolatry. It's the love of money that is all kinds of evil. So James here is addressing the idol of money. And here's the deal. Often, our idol of money fleshes itself out in our lives through materialism. So because we're preaching through a book of the Bible, straight through, we got to deal with what James is saying here in James chapter 5. So let's jump in. What's he say here in these verses and how does it apply to our lives? Here's what James says in verse 1. Come now, you rich. And I know what some of you thought, and I thought earlier too when I was studying this. Praise God, I'm not rich. So I'm going to sit back, maybe check the score of the game, and I'll let you get those greedy rich people, Scott, with this verse. Come now, you rich. Well, I'm off the hook because I'm not rich. You've heard us talk about this before. If you've heard us talk about 
generosity or giving here at Hope, but I won't spend a lot of time on it. But you can actually go online right now to a website called globalrichlist.com. Go on it later. It's kind of a fun little exercise. But it is a very sobering picture of the fact that we are actually a lot more rich just being Americans than you, than you can imagine. Did you know that if you make your household makes $25,000 a year, if your household together makes $25,000 a year, if you go to globalrichlist.com, here's what it's going to show you, that you are wealthier than 98% of the almost 8 billion people that live on the planet. So at $25,000 a year, if you made that last year, you are in the top 2% of the world's wealth. Congratulations, you're rich. Let's up the game a little bit. Let's say you and your family made $50,000 a year. That's the median household income in the United States of America. If you made $50,000 last year, you are in the 0.3% wealthiest people on the planet. 99.7% of the 8 billion, almost 8 billion people on the planet don't have as much money as you do making $50,000 a year. So what am I saying? When he says you rich... That pretty much puts all of us in that category. Nobody's off the hook today. So he says, come now, you rich. And he he starts to unpack this idea of weeping and howling. What's he getting at? He is giving strong language because he's going somewhere as he unpacks the sin of materialism. So he's giving us some important principles on materialism. That's what I want to do for us today in our short time together. We're going to look at three reminders that James gives here right from these verses as we fight the sin of materialism. They're right from the verses. We're going to just track through straight through the six verses that we're talking about today. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Here's the first reminder. All earthly riches will rot. He didn't know you were going to be so encouraged when you came to Hope Church today. But I'm glad you're here. All earthly riches will rot. That's what he says there in James chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Look at it. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. What is James saying? James is painting a very graphic picture that everything on the planet that isn't sent to heaven, everything on the planet that is material, everything on the planet that we can hold and accumulate and make and profit from, all of that at the end of the day will corrode and rot. I know that's tough to hear. Because I don't know about you, but I work really hard to, to provide and to get things. So what is James saying here? James is saying very clearly, the things that you trust in, the things that, that I strive and struggle to accumulate, the things that, that you and I seek sometimes happiness in, those things are not going to provide for you what right now you think they're going to provide for you. At the end of the day, all earthly riches will rot. Jesus said this same idea back on the Sermon on the Mount. Again, this is his big brother. James is his little brother. Big brother Jesus said very similar language in Matthew. Look what it says in the book of Matthew in in chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Some of you have heard this verse. Where moth and rust, literally the same imagery destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
And here's the, the really crucial part for us is we fight the sin of materialism. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is Jesus saying and what is James saying? What you ultimately hold hard in your grip, what you ultimately are putting your trust in, what you ultimately are passionate about and giving all your mental energy to, whatever you're doing for that, that is truly where your heart is. You can say you're a Jesus follower, you can say you worship God, but your idol is what you're gripping in your hand and you're giving all your energy to. And James is reminding us, it's gonna rot. It won't last. James is agreeing with his big brother, nothing materially on this planet will last. And I, I thought about that this week, and I know that can kind of be hard to wrestle with. Like, man, I, I strive. I work hard. We, we get good jobs. We get good educations. What, what should we do with all this? Again, Jesus is saying your treasure is in heaven. So do all those things, but don't put those as ultimate tr truth, ultimate reality. See those as what they are. They're a tool that he's given you for the moment, but ultimately that's not where your hope is. Randy Alcorn, a brilliant writer, he's written a lot of great things about money and faith. Here's what Randy Alcorn said. When Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's, just, it's not just because wealth might be lost. It's because wealth will always be lost. Listen to the sentence. Either it leaves us while we live or we leave it when we die. No exceptions. Some of us are like, yeah, I felt that. It leaves me when I'm alive. But others, they think they're bringing it with them to heaven. It's not happening. Because all earthly riches will rise. And we experience this. Let's take this out of, out of spiritual land for a minute. We experience this in our everyday lives. Think about the things that one day, back in the day, you said, I, I have to have this. If I could just have this, man, I'd be, I'd be whole, I'd be excited, I'd be just fine with my life. If I just had this, where are those things today? I'll give you an encouraging word today that I thought about in my own life. Everything material that I have really, really, really wanted will one day end up at Goodwill, a garage sale, or the trash. Think about it. I'll prove it to you. What did you get for Christmas in 2018? I literally, I, I thought about it and I'm like, I really don't remember. That's, that's three years ago. You talked to me in November of 2018. I know exactly what it is. I'm telling everyone that will listen to me. I'm saying, this is what I need. Wife, kids, mom, dad, everyone in my life. I need this thing. Three years later, I can't even remember what it was. Why? Because all riches fade. All wealth will Rot. It's this idea of we think we need it, we get it, it doesn't satisfy us because it was never meant to. So James is painting a very dark picture. This is really easy for us to see in technology. I thought about that this week as I was kind of sitting there and pre preparing the message and my, my iPhone was sitting right there. I said, man, you know what? I got my first iPhone. I don't know when you got your first iPhone, if you have an iPhone. In 2008, I wasn't like on the 2007 train. I got it a little bit later than the rest of my friends. 2008, I got my first iPhone. Here's the deal. A little embarrassing to say this out loud, but I think I've had seven iPhones since then. And every time you open up that white box with the iPhone, you think this is everything I need. Look at all the new features. Have you looked back at the first iPhone? It looks like a toy. <laughs> like it's like there's a rotary dial on it. It's like, what is this thing? It was only 10 years ago. We see this all the time in our lives. Earthly riches will always rot. 
He says, your gold and your silver have corroded. I love this. Some of you science-minded people, you may have heard that and thought, wait a minute. Gold is the incorruptible metal. You can't mess with gold. Gold, Scott, won't rust. I love that James includes this. I think this is what James is saying, and commentators agree. James is saying, that's exactly the point. The thing you think is the most sure thing in your life, the thing you think cannot be messed up, it cannot be corroded, even that, if it's not in Jesus and it's not in him, even that will rust. It's corruptible. Even the thing that right now you think that's the surest thing I got, it won't last. It's wasting away. He says this is evidence against you. These things are evidence against you. What is he saying? One day, this is a sobering reality, true from the scriptures. One day you and I, every person on the planet will stand before a holy, righteous, sovereign God. And here's what the Bible says. This isn't to scare anybody. This is just the reality. We will give an account for our lives. We will stand before a holy God and we will give an account for what we did with what he gave us. I thought about that this week and I thought, man, how many people who pursue, and me in my own life sometimes as I pursue materialism and I'm, I'm looking at the things I have like it makes me worth something else. How many people think they're going to get to the big man upstairs and they're going to say, God, look at what I did. Look at my portfolio. Look at all the money I got. Look at my Tesla. Listen, if you have a Tesla, I'm not bagging on you. I wish I had a Tesla, but look at my Tesla, God. Look at my stuff. Listen, none of that's going to happen. God, look look at my shoe collection. Uh Uh-oh. Transparent. I had a lot of time on my hands like we all did during COVID. And all of a sudden I was on Nike.com a lot more than I would like. And I became like my buddy one during COVID was like, man, you, you become kind of a sneaker head. I was like, oh, no, I have more shoes right now than I've ever had in my life. I'm never going to say, God, look how clean I kept my shoes. Listen, is it, is it bad to have a Tesla? Is it sinful to have a Tesla in your garage? Absolutely not. Not necessarily. If you're finding ultimate worth and identity and everything about your life is wrapped up in the identity and and value of that Tesla, then yes. But if it's just a tool, praise God. If you find ultimate identity and value and worth in your shoe collection or your portfolio or your investments or your cryptocurrency or whatever it is that you're into, then that is sinful. Is it sinful to own the newest iPhone? Not necessarily. Unless I walk around thinking I'm better than everybody else because I have my iPhone. Is it sinful to to own any other type of phone other than an iPhone? Absolutely yes. You should repent right now. There's nothing worse than green text bubbles. Can I get an amen? Get with the Lord. Listen, it doesn't matter what you have. What matters is your attitude towards what you have. And James here is painting a very clear picture. Your worth, value, identity, reputation, trust in material things is only going to leave you dis. Your flesh will burn like fire. What's he saying? It's going to rot, so don't put your hope in it. All earthly treasure will rot. Thought about this, the reality of we bring nothing with us. Kind of gave, God kind of gave me this thought. Did you know that the poorest person on the planet and Jeff Bezos 
who owns Amazon and depending on the day is the richest human being on the planet, the poorest and Jeff Bezos walk into eternity with the same amount of money. Nothing. But on earth, people idolize him because of what he's gotten. All earthly riches will rot. Here's the second reminder as we fight the sin of temptation, uh, the sin of materialism. Integrity with money matters. Integrity with money matters. That's what he says there in verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Obviously, in that culture, James is addressing a specific problem. Here's the problem. There's these people that own these fields that invited some people to come work in those fields. And because they are materialistic and they're just trying to accumulate as much as possible, they are not paying those people what they should be paying those people so that they and themselves can get more. And James is saying, you're wrong. So what's the principle for us? Integrity with money matters. These guys were literally committing fraud. The principle here is pretty practical. The question we have to ask ourselves, whether you're dealing with a lot of money or a little money, in all of your financial dealings, are you handling your resources that God has given you with integrity? The things that God has given you, are you caring with them them? With integrity. As Jesus followers, we should have integrity in every area of our lives. This idea of integrity is wholeness. You're the same person no matter where you are. You can look, in, you can walk in the room wherever I am, and my hope and dream would that I would have be a person of integrity, and you would find the same person on stage as you find in the gym, as you find with my kids. I'm the same. When it comes to our money, no matter who's looking, no matter if it's your best friend or your pastor or your spouse, it's legit. No matter what amount of money we're talking about, no matter what portfolio, no matter what wealth or treasures, integrity with money matters. I remember as a kid, kind of illustrated this way. I remember as a kid, there was one time I was going to Home Depot with my stepdad, Tim. I don't remember what we were working on, but I remember what happened at that Home Depot. We went to Home Depot and, and I don't know, we bought something and we're walking out of the Home Depot and there was a gentleman in front of us that had also just checked out and he was trying to put his money back into his wallet. And my stepdad, Tim, was doing his own thing and all of a sudden I heard a little clink on the ground and this man dropped the quarter and I thought I had scored the jackpot. I ran and I picked up that quarter and I put it in my pocket because I'm about to go get me a gumball or something, right? Like I'm so excited I got this quarter. So we get in the truck and I pull out the quarter and I'm just like, I can't believe I'm so stoked that, I, that, that, that the God of heaven has given me this quarter. I didn't even know God at the time, but here I am, right? Thank you. And Tim goes, what's that? And I said, this guy just dropped it. And I picked it up and I'm going to go get me a gumball. And I don't remember anything about where we were or why we were there. But I remember in that moment, I praised God for a principle. He said, that's wrong. You should have told that man that he dropped it and you should have given it back to him. And we don't know where that guy is right now. He got in his car and he drove away, but here's what you're going to do because integrity matters. You're going to go to the counter at Home Depot and you're going to tell them that a man dropped this and you wanted to give it to Home Depot. So here I am. 
I thought about that this week. And here was my prayer for our church family. What are the dropped quarters right now in your life that you're thinking, yes, I scored. What are the dropped quarters right now in your life? Is it a a shady financial decision or or a shortcut there? And maybe today this message, this, this crazy passage in the book of James is your opportunity and your invitation from God to take it back to the counter and say, I'm not gonna do this anymore. Maybe that's what tonight is for you. Can I know, listen, this is not one of those, wow, this is a hard passage. We're preaching through the books, book of the Bible and we got to deal with this. And I think, I know I've learned so much in my own life. And God's done a lot of work in my own life. Here's how verse 4 ends. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. I just want to give a quick encouragement. I know some people are here today or watching online. And right now you are on the negative receiving end of somebody lacking integrity. Whether that's a boss and you're under their care and you're an employee and and you're crying out to God, God, would you just reveal this, that this is wrong? I wanna encourage you, the God of heaven, the Lord of hosts, this verse says he hears you. So stop, don't stop crying out. We are, I'm believing and I've prayed this week that justice will be served in those situations. As you cry out to the Lord of hosts, pray for justice, pray for right to be done. That's what these people were doing. They were crying out to the Lord of hosts and the Bible says he hears them. So here's our third and final reminder as we fight the sin of materialism. Greed distorts reality. Greed distorts reality. When we're caught up in the sin of materialism, here's the reality. It just keeps growing. It's like a weed. It just keeps growing and it keeps being fed and greed begins to distort our reality. You say, where's that in the text? I'll show you. But first I'm going to show you two ways greed distorts reality. Here's the first one. Greed distorts my view of self. Look at it in verse 5. James chapter five, uh, five, verse five. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. It's this idea of you're just consuming and consuming and consuming. And here's the part. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. My reality has been distorted of myself when I just keep consuming and consuming and pursuing and pursuing and accumulating and accumulating. He alludes here to a process that I'm sorry today if you're a vegetarian or you work for PETA, but we got to go there. Talks about fattening our hearts for a day of slaughter. So what does that mean? Well, he's alluding to the process that cattle farmers use to get that cattle ready to be on your plate at Texas Day Brazil or on your barbecue when you're cooking up burgers for your family. Amen. (laughs) To be honest, before studying this passage, I had no idea how that process works. I was just a recipient of the fruit. But I looked it up. And did you know that a cattle farmer's main objective toward the end of a cattle's life is literally to get that thing as fat as possible because it will make the most amount of money for that cattle farmer. And so it feeds it and feeds it and feeds it. I read this week that a cattle at the end of its life will eat 4% of its body weight a day. They weigh a thousand pounds. 
So they will eat 40 pounds of food. What is that? That is just consumption and consumption and accumulation. And here's what's happening. They have no idea as they consume and consume and consume that they are being fattened for the day of slaughter. They are unconcerned and unfazed by the reality of what's happening to them. It distorts the reality of what's happening. James here is warning us when we don't fight the sin of materialism, when we are tempted to be greedy and to consume and to get, and I got another paycheck, I got another bonus, I got another thing, and I'm just going after it. I'm not, I'm not being generous before the Lord. I'm not asking him what to do. I'm just greedy in my own heart. And I've been there and you've been there. I become unconcerned and unfazed by what's really going on in my heart. Fattened for the day of slaughter. Here's the second way it distorts our reality. It distorts my view of others. That's how the passage ends. In verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. There's been a couple of times throughout the book of James where he talks about murder. Now we don't really know. He may be addressing actual murder within the church. Or he may be alluding to this idea of such hatred and such self-indulgence that's now fleshing it out with, with, with hating and, 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 and despising people because they don't, they're, they're, they're obstacles to me getting more. We don't know if it's actual murder or murder of the sin of a heart, of anger. But James here is saying, you, you're so wrapped up in your greed that you are murdering the people around you. They don't even resist you anymore. They're they're not even trying to to show you anymore that you're wrong. When we don't fight the sin of materialism, we're tempted to, to be greedy. People can become obstacles on our pathway for more. We see people as problems in the way instead of people made in the image of God. Whether that's employees or friends or spouses or kids, I just want what I want. So greed, it may not lead to actual murder, but maybe it's the death of a relationship. Maybe it's the death of a reputation or another person's livelihood or another person's respect of you. James here, again, is painting a very graphic picture that greed distorts our reality. And so here's what I want to do as we close. I want us to apply this. You're going, okay, this is all great. How do I plug this into my life and leave today different? That's what we want the word of God to do. We want the word of God to bear weight on our lives. How do we apply all this? I think the way we apply all this is to to be honest before ourselves and before God. In your own life. Put money in its place. Think about your, we're not going to raise hands today. We're not going to get in small groups and talk about it. Money is an amazing gift, but it's a terrible God. And some of us have, have elevated money to the point where the Bible calls it an idol and we have our firm grip on it. And maybe today is an opportunity for you to open up your hand and say, God, I, I want you to deal with this. The book of James deals with it. I I want you to deal with this. So how can we put money in its place? I think we evaluate. Evaluate your own heart when it comes to the sin of materialism. None of us are immune, by the way. Can't stand back and say, "Ah, 
I'm not materialistic, so I'm good. That's like saying, I'll never lust. I'll never be greedy. I'll never get angry. Listen, it's a sin that we all have tendency towards. So how do I evaluate my own heart as it pertains to money and materialism? I think, ask yourself a few questions. If you were honest today before God, are you putting any sort of hope or identity or trust or value in the things that you own or possess or have in your garage or have in your bank account? Is there a, is there a, a hope in those things? There's a, there's a trust in those things that you know is, is not healthy. The, the prayer today is that we would just surrender that to the Lord. Are you doing everything in your life when it comes to your money with, with the utmost integrity? Or as I said, that, that, uh, that, that illustration about Home Depot, you're thinking, I know exactly what that is in my life. Right now, the only way we get better is to say, God, take it. The only way we move forward in our faith is to surrender and say, okay, I'm opening my hands. I, I'm, I want you to handle this. If you be honest, has, has greed in any way, shape, or form gotten a grip on your heart? And you know this kind of messing with your mind and it's distorting your reality of what's true. And maybe your heart is being a little fattened for the day of slaughter. Where right now are you feeling the nudge of the Holy Spirit to deal with something? Let's not ignore that today, church. For me, this week, not this week, my whole life, my whole Christian life, it's always been on the issue of generosity. I don't know why, but I've kind of always grown up with this scarcity mindset with money. No matter how much I have or not have, I'm always like, ah, but what if this happens? And I hold it really tight. And as I'm preparing this message, I've had conversations with my wife, even when we were dating, like for whatever reason, it's really hard for me to go, okay, I'll give this away. And God showed me, this is an idol for you, Scott. Not the amount of money, but your attitude towards it sometimes. I, I want to hold it because what if, well, my what ifs become disobedience to God. Maybe for you, it's the same thing. You have a complex with money because you have a lot of it or you don't have a lot of it. Again, the invitation today is to surrender it to the Lord. And it, something that God kind of spoke to me and I wanted to share it as we close today. You and I may possess many things. We could go down the list. You could talk about all the stuff that's in your bank accounts and your 401ks and your garage and your things. But we may possess a lot of things. But can I just encourage you with what God encouraged me with? You don't own anything. You may say, I, I got the deed. I, I own my house. I own my car. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know that the bank says you own it. But when it comes to us spiritually, you and I don't own anything. It has been given to us by God, everything we have. I was reminded of that this week as I'm sitting there thinking, God, I know this has a grip on me. You don't own anything, Scott. I've given you some things to take care of. And then he showed me a picture that I see all the time in my house. One of the kids will come up to me and they're all mad because somebody took something of theirs and they say, well, this is mine. I'm thinking, did you buy it? I know who bought that. This is my room. Did you buy this house? That ain't your room. Your dad gave you that room and right now you're just in charge of it. 
And in that moment, God kind of said, that's you, Scott. You don't own any of it. This ain't your room. This ain't your house. God gave that to you. Your father gave that to you. So don't with authority step in and act like you own it. Whew, man, that'll make you kind of open up your hands and say, okay, God, I've seen it in my kid's life. How dare I turn around and act like I'm the boss now? Thank you for listening to the Hope Church LV podcast. If you haven't done so already, go rate and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Have a great rest of your day.